You're listening to Two Tone Uncensored. I'm your host, Ryan Moreland. Very excited tonight. Even though we're coming off of a bad week, I have a guest that I always love having on, the Blue Enforcer himself, Chris Newell from Titans and Truth. Chris, what's up? Hey, what's going on? What's going on, everybody? Like I said, man, always a pleasure having you on. It feels like the energy level just comes up a little bit every time I have you on, Chris. <laughs> I, I try to keep it that way. I try to I try to look at the positive out of a negative situation. And I know this has been a, a rough couple of weeks for for our boys, but uh, we we gonna try to uh, we gonna try to see if we can uh, maybe talk to people off the ledge a little bit and maybe give some sense of hope. If there is any, we definitely have some positives to take away from this last game. And I know not a lot of people see it yet, but we'll get into it. We'll definitely talk about it. But before we get into it, let's jump into this mailbag, Chris. We have a few questions coming in that uh, most of them pretty negative, as you can see. I, the fan base right now is struggling a little bit, but let's jump into it. Yeah. Josh Ebel, you know, Hall of Famer, big fan of the show and friend of the show, he said. The Jags hide a really terrible quarterback behind a great running game. Why can't we? That's a really good question. And uh, I would actually have to admit, and I actually go back to this game. I mean, number one, I mean, we're supposed to have a better offensive line, but we haven't seen it this year. And what should have happened, and I honestly think, that a lot of it had to do with with coaching. I, I don't think our quarterbacks are being put in the best position to succeed, and we need to play to the player's strengths, not the other way around. So, I mean, you got a good running back with Leonard Fournette uh, who was able to kind of mask Blake Bortles, and, you know, they're simplifying it so that Blake Bortles doesn't have to have the game in his hands. Maybe that's what we need to do. Make it so that Marcus or Matt doesn't have to win the game for them, but simplify it a little bit. I don't know how else they can mask it. I mean, we got the weapons. If they just get the ball out quick enough, maybe they could mask some problems and, you know, run run some things that will help the offensive line, maybe help the running backs, and it'll make it a little bit easier for the quarterbacks to operate, but I think it starts up front. I think passing styles, too. I agree with everything you said, but another point to add on is passing styles, because if you look at Blake Bortles, his problem is being too careless with the football. He'll fire that thing out. The problem with Matt Castle, and not early in his career, but definitely now, is is he's reluctant to get rid of the football, and he's not fast enough in his reads. We saw that a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at that. We had six sacks in that game, gave up six sacks, but you can only blame the offensive line for, like, two of those. You know, two of them were Castle trying to scramble and couldn't find anything. I mean, two of them, he was completely out of the pocket, and he was near to the line of scrimmage, and, and he yeah. got tackled. And then one of them, if he would have called out the guy's blitzing, which is something Marcus definitely would have done, then we wouldn't have yep. had free runners on the fumble play, which we'll talk about that later if it was a fumble or not, Chris, and I want your opinion on it. But right now... It's too. Yeah. That's a problem. And another thing, you talk about getting these players involved. Taewon Taylor, get him on drag yeah. routes. Get him in slant routes. Get the ball to him quick. In this game, we're looking at Matt Castle throwing about four point four, I think, yards per attempt, which is mm-hmm. atrocious. It's so bad. You got. That's yeah. why you got to get the ball out quick 
and into playmakers' hands. Let them do the work. You know, why do I have a feeling you're in my brain? Like you gotta, <laughs> you gotta throw my thunder a little bit with that one. I absolutely a thousand percent agree with that. You know that, and that's again. That's why I go back to. That's why I go back to coaching with that. You know, with Marcus, you can kind of open up the book a little bit more. He's smart enough to see it. He's going to get the ball out quick, or he's going to take off. With Matt, you know, I really have a problem with Malarkey and Rubisky on this. I know they want to run the ball. They want to use the run to set up the pass. But with Matt Castle, maybe just help him out. Instead, use the pass to set up the run. Because in this game, and I know we're going to talk much more about it, in this game, Miami finds out that Matt Castle is starting. In their minds, you know they're going to be like, hey, we're going to shut down the running game. Let's just sell out, stop the run, put the ball in Matt Castle's hands. He can't beat us. So instead, why don't you, as you said, come out with some slant routes, some some drags, some stuff across the middle with Delaney, with Taewon Taylor, and let them run after the catch. If Taewon Taylor's the fastest guy on the offense, you could easily do a slant across the middle or a nice short post route to the middle of the field. And if Taewon Taylor is there, he could outrun some other people. Use that and let Taewon Taylor go to work. Use that up. It opens up the defense a little bit, kind of keeps them honest, and then that'll open up the run game. So with Marcus, I know they can use the run to set up the pass, but with Matt Castle, use the pass to set up the run, and it could have helped them out. But they did not put them in any good position to be successful. No, you're absolutely right. And another route that you can add in there is put Delaney on the outside. Put him in that, uh, that X or Z spot and have Taewon Taylor in the slot, then rub that run route outside. Have Delaney t- eat that other defender, run that rub route, and when you get Taewon Taylor in open space, like you just said, he's the fastest guy on our offense, and then let him do work. Then he's like, got open space to work with. You see so many teams get it to speedy guys using that rub route. It's a favorite across the NFL. We don't use it at all hardly. Something I really wish, especially because now we have a guy that can really do damage with it in Taewon Taylor. And we have a lot of – you don't even have to put Delaney out there. I mean, all of our wide receivers – not mm-hmm. all of them, but we have big wide receivers. When Corey Davis is back on the field, he's a big wide receiver. Decker's a big guy. Yep. Those guys can eat those slot cover guys, those nickel corners. They're going to eat them up, get those guys yep. on the outside – or, you know, Taylor on the outside, let him do his work, man. It's it's frustrating we don't – I don't we don't ever see stuff like that. And I, I agree with you with this one. Robisky's play calling, it really blew my mind. It's – Matt Castle doesn't do a good job of reading. Watch his eyes. Play, he plays, he gets sacked. And, it, like, in my opinion, here it is. If you're the quarterback, you have the ball, and you get that four-and-a-half-second mark, the sack is your fault. From then on, it is your fault if you get sacked. And that was almost all of Matt Castle's sack. I don't, I don't blame the offense at all for playing poorly this week. I thought they did an actually a pretty decent job against a really good defensive line. But, man, he just you have to get rid of that ball. But watch his eyes. He never makes it past the second read on any of those throws. You can clearly see it. He hikes, and he'll maybe he'll give a look off, 
but then he's focused on the first guy. By the time he gets to the second guy, you're already at the three-second marks. Good quarterbacks have that second guy ready at two seconds. You should already know where your second guy is supposed to be. If you see that first guy is already covered up, see your second guy, if he's open, you already take it out. And if he's covered, then you go to your third guy. You should already know where your receivers are supposed to be. So all you got to do is hit the ball to the spot where that receiver is supposed to be. And, you know, and I absolutely uh, – I can agree with that because, you know what, you brought up something that I didn't even recognize is that a lot of it might – they have very well been Matt Castle holding the ball way too long. And what I don't like with Robinski is that – I think, and uh, I heard this on, if you don't mind me referencing, A to Z Sports with Austin and Zach. They were saying that there were maybe too many cooks in the kitchen or too many mouths to feed. The fact of the matter is, you you don't have to feel forced to feed anybody. If you do it right, you can feed all these mouths correctly. But... One should be getting it a little bit more than the other, that being Delaney Walker. But Rashad Matthews, they can use him right, feed him a bit. Taewon Taylor should be fed a whole lot more than he's getting. He's getting like, he's barely getting the scraps of leftovers. Delaney should be the main course. Rashad Matthews should be getting some leftovers. And Taewon Taylor is barely getting the scraps of the leftovers. Man, I'm a guy and it's that, I'm a guy that believes in picking those matchups, Chris, and and that's why Delaney's so awesome is because there's no linebacker that's going to shut Delaney down. There's no safety that's going to shut Delaney down. You can slow him down. You're never going to shut him down because of that matchup, his size and speed and athletic ability and his way he boxes out and uses his frame, you, you can't beat that. That's why you should get a lot. No. The thing is we're forcing a lot of balls Decker's way with guys that can cover Decker. And Decker's a great player. Like, don't get me wrong. But you use, been great those, this year. use Decker to stretch that defense, get Taewon underneath. That's I mean, use the matchups. And then you're playing, yeah. instead of playing, you know, your number one, an older guy, your number one wide receiver, against their number one corner, you're playing a very speedy young wide receiver against their third. Uh, you know, if they're lucky, if we're not spreading out the offense, their nickel corner. I mean, it's a it's a great matchup. We definitely should be exploiting it. But but let's move on to the next question here, Chris. Let's do that. Tim Allison sends this one in. Besides Marcus's return, what needs to happen for this team to start clicking? Let's see. Besides Marcus's return, what needs to start clicking? Well, yeah, the first part is obvious. Definitely Marcus needs to return. Uh, I think he will make it go. Number two, again, I just think they need, like we said, like we were just talking, the play calling needs to be better, and you got to utilize your weapons better. You know, get the lady involved early. Feed him early, and then get those weapons with Taewon and with, and with Corey Davis whenever he returns. And Corey Davis needs to come back. How long does it take a hamstring to heal? It should not take that long. If I have a Charlie horse, and I have a cramp or something like that, and I understand there might be a little bit different, I could walk it off and be fine after about a day or so, and I could walk it just fine. But, I mean, the fact that these players have been out for weeks and weeks at a time, it baffles me. 
Number two, I'm going to go to the defensive side, is that a pass rush. We haven't had an effective pass rush all year. I don't know what's happened with Jarrell Casey, uh, but I think, I don't know, maybe a lot of offensive lines are keying on him. A Rapport and Morgan are not getting to the quarterback fast enough. And, you know, Sly Williams is horrible. Austin Johnson we haven't seen enough of. Kevin Dodd is playing all out of position, well, whenever he's playing, which is not often. And, you know, I just, I think we need to have a pass rush because that'll help the secondary, which I am, I'm hoping we'll get to this later. There was something that happened in the secondary that I really, really liked. And I hope that Dick LeBeau and Mike Malarkey continue this. But I just think Marcus returning, Corey Davis coming back, and a pass rush needs to come back. And that will help our defense and in turn get it back to our offense. I 100% agree. Pass rush was the number one thing on my list. You know, we this week our defense, and, and we'll throw out the stats later, but our defense actually played pretty good. But our uh, our offense was stagnant, and that's what killed us. And So first one, definitely our pass rush. You look at the game beforehand. We, even when we got pressure on Watson, we let him escape that pressure, and we let him run the ball, and that really killed us. That w- That's what changed that game. If we would have kept him in there, had a guy spying, or you know, kept him inside the pocket, got some of those sacks, that game's not a blowout. That's a tight win for them, or maybe even a win for us. Yeah. But the fact that we don't get him and he runs down the field, that's what makes that game a blowout. You know, they kill us. That's the mm-hmm. big thing. Another thing, taking care of the football, you know, and, and again, referencing that fumble, we'll talk about that, but DeMarco Murray's was clearly a fumble. And, you know, DeMarco's a yeah. guy that runs with the ball away from his body a lot but normally doesn't have too many fumbling issues, so it's not something we worry about too much. And he'll have one or two a year, three or four maybe, but it's never that big of an issue. This is one of those, and it sucks, but the turnovers are what lost us this game against Miami. I mean, without them, we definitely win. Without even one of them, we probably have a good chance of winning. And I agree with that because I kept hearing in some post-games, it was like, you know, with Matt Castle... With Matt Castle in there, every possession, every possession is so crucial. Every possession is so valuable. And, you know, that fumble by DeMarco Murray cost us three points. It cost us three points that we shouldn't have had to give up. DeMarco Murray is a pro bowl running back. Fumbling that ball like that should never have happened. You know, and then the other turnover, which was ridiculous, you know, turned the game completely on its head. And so, you know, now we got, you know, we'll begin to the Colts, but Jacoby Brissett, the same kind of quarterback as Deshaun Watson in a way. You know, we're going to have to limit him escaping because he's going to be a run-first type. We got to limit him escaping. The pass rush could alleviate that, but somebody has to be there to close up all the lanes in the middle so that there's no way to escape. Turnovers hurt big time because, you know, with Matt Castle, again, it's that margin for error is much, much smaller with Matt Castle in there instead of Marcus Mariota. Marcus is in there. We could have overcame that and won the game. But with Matt in there, any mistake eventually ended up costing us the ball game. 
And that was that was incredibly crucial. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I mean it's with Matt Castle, you said it, like every drive is crucial. And in this game we had so many up we had thirteen drives. We lost by seven points and the winner only scored seventeen. So if you convert on you know, a small percentage of those drives, you win that football game. That was a problem though. Yeah. Anytime we actually got something going, it seemed like we turned the ball over, you know, outside of, uh, of the few scores that we did have. Uh, and it, I mean, it was bad. It was very bad on offense. One other thing, though, I think is play calling on, on the offense. I really don't hate the play calling on the defense. I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me on this, but this game, we'll go over the statistics later. This game, we played pretty damn well on the defensive side of the football. And in that game against Houston, I thought we did an okay job in play calling. It's just when we pressured Watson, he took off, and that cut us apart. We, we didn't have the playmakers to go up in there and stop them in the second level. And, and then when you looked at uh, the plays where we dropped, you know, only sent three and dropped back, our secondary really hurt us on those. You know, the first time we really watched that drive that they, they scored three times in a row, we blitzed a lot. Then that drive, they kicked the field goal. We start dropping guys back, and their drive stopped. And I was like, all right, we figured it out. We figured it out. Now, you know, make him throw the football. Don't let him run. Make him throw the football, and and we're going to do fine here. But then our secondary really dropped the ball, especially when Marcus went out. I feel like when Marcus went out, the whole team was like – it had the same reaction as you did sitting on your couch at home. They said, ah, fuck, we lost. Game over. We lost this yep. game, and they quit playing. And I mean, the whole team did. I mean, the whole team quit playing at that point. But yeah, I agree they, with that. We had, a, you know, we made an adjustment there. That was a good adjustment. It worked for a little bit. But then when we gave up on the game, you know, it's not going to work. I don't think the defensive play calling is that bad. On the offensive side, I do. There's a lot of stuff. Those rub routes, getting our playmakers involved, getting Taewon Taylor involved, especially when you have a quarterback that doesn't do well. Get him reads on a guy that gets separation. That should be mm-hmm. – Taylor should be your second read on like 40% of your passing plays because he's a guy that gets quick separation and can do damage in the open field. We yeah. don't have a lot of guys and like I, that. I agree with that. And you touched on something I definitely want to hit on uh, from the last game. From the last game, our defense, yeah, we, just, we did look lost, especially in coverage. The rush was getting there, but again, we gave outlets for Deshaun Watson, and nobody was right there to uh, cover. Like, there was a, I think it was like a third down run, like third down and four, and I think it was Woodyard or Williamson hesitated for a quick second. Right when Deshaun Watson took off, if they come up just a little bit, about a half second quicker, then they stop short, they got to punt the football. And I agree, I think when Marcus went down, when Marcus did not return, I was listening to it on the radio. And when Mike Keith said, Matt Castle is going in at quarterback, I'm thinking, what's going on? Questionable for Marcus to return. I'm like, oh, no. I'm like, oh, goodness, this is about to get bad. And because in the game against Houston, they struggled early, and we think I'm going to really get on the slow starts. That's what I'm about to hit on next. In the early part of the second quarter, it looked like the Titans' offense started to find something against Houston. And it looked like in the, in the Miami game, it looked like they were kind of starting to get on a roll. But then you mentioned play calling, also penalties. 
in this game was a major problem. It seemed like every time something good was going on, there was a, a false start or holding or something like that. I believe there was a play. It was second and two, and it looked like you're going somewhere. All of a sudden, it's false start on Jonu Smith because instead of second and two, it's second and seven. And Philip Supernaw, false start, back-to-back plays. Now, he did make up for it with a touchdown, but, I mean, you set your team back a bit. And a stat that was revelating that I heard was on the road, the Titans had 14 straight road games with no points on their opening drive. 14 straight games, they opened up where they went three and out on the first drive or no points uh, on their first drive or in the first quarter. These slow starts have got to stop because they ended up with eight three and outs in this game. Eight three and outs. And with Jacksonville, Houston, and Seattle, I understood in a way why there was a three and out, maybe because they were trying to fill out the defense, kind of trying to see what they're doing what nuances they're trying to go with. With Miami, yeah, they have a good defensive line, but they should still be able to kind of march down the field on them a bit. Maybe I'm expecting too much, but that's just me. No, I agree with you. I'm going to throw this question in real quick because we got it last minute here from Reg Bannett because it goes along with what we're talking about here. He said, what coordinator slash coach do you think is on the hot seat? And if I had to pick a coach right now, out of our coaches that I think is has the hottest seat, it has to be Robisky. You know, I'm very disappointed with this play calling right now. We don't run rub routes nearly enough. We're not getting our playmakers involved. The same things we've been talking about. I, for me, it has to be Robisky. I don't think, really outside of one game, there's not much bad that you can say about this defense. You know, we've played decently, at least, and spectacularly in some games. Uh, two games that really come to mind that we've played very well in or three games yeah. actually if you add in this because I think we played damn good in this game too that we, we've played really well on defense it's it's definitely on the offense right now and, and Robisky I think is very much on the hot seat we have too many weapons too much talent on this team to struggle this much and I know with Marcus going out we knew this was going to be a problem we knew it was going to be a low scoring game uh, and if we won we wouldn't even score much but before this, you know, you're talking about that Houston game. That stuff should not be happening. You talk about, yeah. you know, how much we've struggled. And, and, like, you bring it up, how slow we are out of the gate, man. We are so bad in the first half this year. I agree. And I, I am 100% behind you on that. Terrible Bisky is his seat has got to be getting hot because, again, and even with Marcus in there, we're struggling to get off to good starts. He is not putting our players in the best position to succeed. Again, it's very old school. I understand. It's good. You got to run the ball. I understand that. But you, it's like, I felt like with Milwaukee and Robinsky, it's like they just kept the same, they're going to roll the same game plan out there every single week instead of adapting to go against the weakness of the defense. Like this week, for example, perfect example, Miami was ranked fourth in the league against the run. They're very good against the run. Matt Castle's your starting quarterback. You got to think in your mind, hmm, 
Miami's fourth against the run. Our starting quarterback who has run capability is not playing. Don't you think in your right mind you know they're going to try to sell out to stop the run? And instead of using your weapons, and instead of getting, maybe try to get DeMarco Murray and Derrick Henry in a little bit of space to where they can have some room. And, you know, use the pass to set up the run, like I mentioned earlier. So, yeah, I would definitely say Robisky's seat is getting very hot. And if this thing starts to spiral downward, Mike Malarkey will make that choice to let Robisky go to save his own neck, which I would do too. I mean, I think Jason Michael could do a much better job. Younger, probably could be a little bit more innovative. He's already in tune with the quarterbacks, so he will play to their quarterback strength. Dick LeBeau, I know a lot of people were starting to question him, especially with the Houston game. I know, I was thinking in my mind, I know Dick LeBeau was probably trying to call every blitz he could think of, and we just didn't execute well. In this game, the defense did play a lot better. And I want to say thank you to Dick LeBeau for not putting Bryce McCain in. <laughs> Bryce, McCain only played, Bryce McCain only played one snap Whoa, that whole yep, game on yep. defense. For the love of God, if I could get a Dick LeBeau's ear, I'm like, keep doing this. Bryce McCain should not be on the field at all. Inactivate him, bring Kalen Reed up, and I guarantee you, you saw how better the secondary played. You're not lying, man. Like last year, I mean, everybody came down on the the secondary as a whole, which they should have. But yep. I was like, man, I was watching these tapes. I was like, man, Bryce McCain's the best guy that we have right now. He's playing better than anybody else in the secondary. And this year, you know, we have gotten a lot better. Logan Ryan is, is such a great pickup for us. Adoree Jackson is really a lot re- more a lot more a lot better a lot more ready for this position than I thought he was. He I mean he's had some good plays um for sure. He's obviously, you know, a huge facelift on our on on our uh, special teams as long as we don't get penalties <laughs> on the kickoffs he returns. But yeah. Uh and Sims has been playing like doing a decent job, you know. Sims is going to be an asset for us, but man McCain has been garbage and that, that was something I was excited to see is you know, only on one snap we saw him play this week. We're definitely figuring it out. We knew this was going to be just like our wide receivers. We knew it was going to be like, okay, let's see. Let's put them all out there, give them all some time, see what works, see what doesn't work. We knew it was going to be that way when we figured it out. We figured out Bryce McCain does not work, you know, that he does not need to see much field time. But, you know, and we're going to get more into this, but I'm going to move on to the last question here from Jared Brown. Absolutely. And this was a this was a tough question, Chris. This is going to be the hardest question I think we've had. I know we don't want to talk about it or admit it, but at what point do we admit that Mariota has an injury issue? Absolutely right. This 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 is a very very difficult question because what's the most reliable thing that a quarterback needs to be able to do is play all sixteen games. You know, we see that from Brady. We see that from Rodgers. We see that from Breeze. We see that from Jameis Winston. You know, Jameis Winston, ever since him and Mariota have gotten drafted, Jameis Winston has yet to miss a game. You know, Aaron Rodgers hasn't missed a game. 
Tom Brady hasn't missed a game. Well, unless they are benched for, you know, they've already wrapped up a division or something like that. That Prescott hasn't missed a game since he started. And, you know, Marcus has missed games. You know, the first year he only played 12, missed four. Last year he almost made it to the end. He almost made it. Played 15 games. And now he's missed a game already. So, I mean, yeah, that question is starting to creep up in his mind. I think if, you know, he's missing multiple games, I mean, I think Marcus comes back this week. If he comes back this week and hopefully does not get hurt again, then, you know, I think we can hold that off. But if Marcus is missing multiple games again, you got to start to get that question in your head that maybe injury prone could be the mark. It could be what's going on. And I hate that for him because I really thought he was going to make it through last year. And I honestly think with this game, like with the second half against Houston, I honestly think it was the coaches that kept him out. I don't think it was that. I think Marcus wanted to go back in. I think Marcus could have went back in. But I think Mike Malarkey was like, you know what, this game is all. And after the defense gave up a touchdown, I think they were like, well, this game is already out of hand. I don't want to risk further injury or further bad things happening to him. Then we might as well keep him out. And I think they also thought with Miami, they was like, well, we want him to heal up. We can win this game without him. It's Miami, and it backfired. I think that's what really happened. I don't think it's anything that Marcus could not play. I don't think Malarkey let him play. No, I mean, I definitely think you're right there. I, I definitely think there's some to that. But, you know, you, we also see – here's my theory. I think that this injury didn't happen in the game. Like, it, it didn't start in the game with Houston. We've noticed with Marcus overthrowing balls, especially early in games, has been an issue. And you wonder how much it is like stepping into the throw. You know, if you're if that leg's hurting, if that leg's ginger, you step in. You're not going to step into a throw and fire it, and that's going to lead you to overthrow footballs. And and we've seen it a lot from Marcus this year, a lot more than we did last year. And I definitely don't think Marcus has regressed as a quarterback, not with his work ethic. I know he spent a lot of time injured this off season, but I don't. I don't buy that. I think it might have to do with an injury. I think this injury is a little older than we think it is. I do think at this point, yeah. though, we have to admit that this is – you're looking at four injuries in, in you know, two – less than two and a half years. Only one major injury, like luckily, and it happened at a, at a time that was actually not that bad for us. We only missed him for a game and a half. Um, but, I mean, you're looking at a guy that's been injured four times and – in two and a half years, you know, we we need to do something at backup quarterback. I had a conversation uh, on on Facebook today with a guy who's talking about all oh, that his you know Matt Castle's salary is unreal, and I was like, it's really not. You know, it's it's one million guaranteed for a thirteen year vet QB. Like nobody that has his experience is making less than him, except for Derek Anderson in Carolina. He's the only guy that has that kind of experience that makes less, and he makes barely less. So it's not his contract's really not an issue for me. It's just that you're, he's not productive. 
He's he's not a guy that's right. going to be able to come in and do stuff. We I've said this in the off season that we needed to get a guy to come in and and replace Matt Castle's backup last year. I thought we did need to do it in the off season. I had a lot of people disagree with me that they thought it was going to be a waste of money or whatever. But I mean, look at it now. Like now, all of those people would have to agree. Like, man, I wish we did something in the off season. We need to do something and- about it. Marcus is a great quarterback. He's he's learning quickly. He's smart. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He makes a lot of big plays. His red zone numbers speak for themselves. But he does have an injury issue. Like As of right now, you have to admit it. He has an injury issue. We need someone that can come in and be competent as a backup. Because like I said, the only yeah. guy that makes less than Matt Castle is Derek Anderson. Derek Anderson's a very, very decent backup. Now, you know, you're talking about I agree. top five, top ten I- in the league. I would love to. Have, I would have loved to have had Derek Anderson instead of Matt Castle. And no doubt, I would say, I think honestly, in the preseason, I think in the coach's mind, I think they wanted Alex Tanny to take that job. I think, and I mean, because Alex Tanny played as long as he did, you noticed that Marcus played. Um, Marcus played. I think a series. I think he played two series. After that, Alex Tanny played the entire game. Matt Castle, um, I think he was hurt at the time, but I really do believe the coaching staff wanted Alex Tanny to take that job. It was his for the taking, and Alex Tanny just looked horrible. I 100% agree. 100% agree. I mean, they were, it was, I think they were just like, it was screaming for Alex Tanny to be the backup quarterback, and he just didn't do it. So I think in this draft next year, in the 2018 draft, I think at least I was saying about the mid-third or fourth round, they're going to be looking for a quarterback. I think they're going to have to be looking at quarterback, whether in, the, whether in free agency uh, or um, drafting a, uh, a guy that could be a backup quarterback. Uh, to be groomed in under Marcus, who may have the same similar set as Marcus. So that way, if something happens to Marcus, this guy comes in, you don't have to change the offense very much. Can you pick a more different quarterback from Marcus Mariota than Matt Castle? A guy, ultra slow compared to ultra fast. A guy that doesn't progress through reads very quickly to a guy that has a knack for it. A guy that has a, a very good you know, his strength, I won't say very good, his strength is the deep ball compared to the starter whose strength is very accurate, short, mid-range passing. I mean, like, everything you bring up with Matt Castle is the exact opposite of Marcus Mariota. You could not pick a more, not not pick a terrible pick. Like, it's it's just the worst backup scenario because you're completely changing the offense. You're 100% right. We need to go in into that draft with a mindset where we need to find the backup for a long time. We need to find that guy that's going to be, uh, you know, uh, Marcus's backup for years to come, uh, you know, a guy that acts like Marcus. A guy, you know, you don't even have to have a guy that's fast, but you do need a guy right. that excels in the short, mid-range passing game. That way your playbook doesn't have to change. You need a guy to find the yep. guy that's accurate and short and mid-range in our defense and our, sorry, our offense will just run, run right along when Marcus goes out. If he does, we'll be able to win football games. We'll be able to compete. Matt Castle's not that guy. Matt Castle's the guy that throws the ball 
over the defense and, you know, lets his, lets his wide receivers do work. And now when he's aging, too, and that deep ball starting to become, you know, less and less reliable, and not that it was ever super reliable for Matt Castle, but, it, you know, it's becoming more and more of an issue. We need to get a guy that excels in the short and mid-range passing game, but... But let's move on here. The only news that we really have to yep. talk about is this Marcus Mariota injury. So we're staying on the same subject a little bit. We really don't know much now, right now, Chris. We, I feel like we know less now than we did last week when we did the show uh, about Marcus's injury. We heard um, from NFL Network that they were saying two to four weeks. Obviously, uh, Coach Malarkey came back and said, you know, th- they made that up. That's not what's really going on. He's still day-to-day. So mm-hmm. we, you know, that's all we know. That's all we know right now. It's I, I don't know I, if you had to guess right now, and it really is a guess, Chris. Do you think he's playing on Monday? I'm gonna have to. This is could be one of the truest statements. I want this to be quoted because I'm about I'm about to put a a really hot take on this. I'm re- I'm excited already. Let me know. There is no if, as, or buts about it, Marcus has to play Monday night. He must play Monday night. If we have any shot of salvaging the season, if we have any shot of riding the ship, it's going to start with number eight. He is the engine that makes this train go because we've seen it already. We know what Matt Castle is. Matt Castle cannot play Monday night. I mean, Andrew Luck is already out. You got a nationally televised audience that's going to be tuning in. If you have Castle versus Brissett, you're going to have the worst ratings in NFL history for a Monday night game. Marcus will add some relevance to that. So I have no doubt in my mind. I believe this in whole heart of hearts. I'm not saying it's just as a Titans and Truth host, and I'm not saying it as a fan. I am 100% guaranteed Marcus Mariota takes the first snap Monday night next week against the Colts. Take that to the bank. Ooh, hot take right there, man. I, I'm not as sold. I want to be as sold as you are. I'm not there, Chris. I just I, – you don't want to rush him back. I'm just not sure. Like, where did – I really want to know, where did NFL Network get that? Did they – you know, did they pull that out because, you know, similar injuries like that? Or, you know, we know that outside of the one big injury, the other two injuries that Marcus has, it was two weeks uh, and he was back. Sim- very similar injuries. Is that, you know, not very similar, but kind of similar injuries. Is that where they're pulling it from? Or was it someone that they've heard someone say something or they know someone? That's that's what it makes me question a little bit is where did this source come from? Where were they getting this information and, and the question is on that, why was this coming out the day before the game against Miami when that question's been going on all week, wondering right. if Marcus was going to play or not? And, I mean, right. don't get me wrong, it's coming from Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport, two, very, two sources that I believe to be very reliable sources. I would agree. As far as that. But, again... You know, of course, Mike Malarkey even came out himself and said, look, who are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to some insiders who think they know what they're talking about? Or are you going to listen to me, the actual coach? Which, Chris, didn't you just love the way he said that? Don't, But don't you just, like, 
like love that he was just like, who are you going to listen to? Like, I just like, I, that made me like coach Malarkey even more than I already do. It was just like, nice. Like I like that. I like the way he said that. I like the way he owned that situation. I agree. Uh, I agree. And I mean, if it is two to four weeks, if you really think about it, Monday night would be two weeks. Cause he two didn't really, today. he, you know, he was limited this week. You know, he was limited last week. Didn't practice a whole lot. He, and uh, this week we'll see. But, I mean, I, I understand where everybody's coming from. I agree. You do not want to rush Marcus back too quick. But, I mean, at this juncture of the year, this, this Indianapolis Colts game has really become a must win. I mean, it's become a must win. And, I mean, you know, this is supposed to be a very easy part of the stretch on the schedule, if they lose this game, it will be three in a row they've lost, and then you really start to have your doubts about them against Cleveland, this could spiral out of control very quickly, and this could look really, really bad. That's why I said, that's why I really think Marcus has to play in this game. There, uh, Unfortunately, there is no choice. Without Marcus, we don't have a great chance to win in my honest opinion. That's why I feel so strongly about that. You know, Chris, you're right, too. Like, we have an easy stretch of games here. You know, Miami last week, Colts, Browns, Ravens who've been up and down the whole season. Uh, Cincinnati has been awful. Pittsburgh then on the Thursday night game, who you can eat, might even need throw in there just a little bit because of that last loss that we saw them take, which we're about to yep. talk about. But an easy stretch of games, but that means we have to win these. Like, if we're a playoff team, we need to be winning these. We can't afford to lose these. We've already dropped one. We need to start winning these football games. I agree with you. I, I want to see them back, man. I, I think that it is necessary to, to win these football games and maybe even do a situation. You know, we've seen this in the NFL before. Not super often, but we have seen it where the starter, you know, the de facto starter coming back from injury, suits up and doesn't start and when the game starts to look like it's in control he stays on the bench when the game looks out of hand he comes in and cleans up that might be a situation the Tennessee Titans might have to put Marcus in this week and, and that's the that is, and that's the that is a good logic but unfortunately by the way that coach Malarkey has been sounding in his press conferences that's not going to be the logic because no, I, agree. I mean you go back to last week, you go back to last week before the Miami game, uh, Mike Malarkey came out and said, either it's Marcus starts or he won't play. This, and then in the press conference today, it was like, you know, he's not even considering any other options. If Marcus can't go, he says, Matt Castle is the guy that's going to start if Marcus can't go. And I cannot lie. Hearing that comment scared the crap out of me when I hear that. Right. I'm thinking to myself, Mike, did you not watch the game? Did you just not watch the game we saw? It was lethargic. <laughs> you cannot, you honestly cannot put Matt Castle on that field Monday night in front of the rest of the world in a division game a game we have to have, Matt Castle cannot be on that field. I mean, I would venture to say, and it's my sound funny, Brandon Wheaton probably could have threw the ball a little bit better. 
<laughs> honestly. <laughs> and that's, that's probably a bit extreme, but I'm sorry. Matt Castle cannot be on that field Monday night against the Colts because if Matt Castle is under center to start that game, I am, I am really scared to think this is going to go badly. And it's going to go bad fast. And I'm scared about that. No, I agree with you. And we'll, and we'll get to that game in a little bit. But let's jump into the AFC South recap now. So Jacksonville takes on the Steelers. They win 30-9 to in a pretty surprising win. Jacksonville's defense dominates as Big Ben throws five interceptions. So I have two questions for you, Chris. First one here. Jacksonville, you know, they got dominated by us and then come out with some impressive wins coming out of that loss. You know, how scared mm-hmm. are you of, of Jacksonville right now is my first question. I won't say I'm necessarily scared of Jacksonville because we beat them. However, Jacksonville is probably opening some eyes because, first of all, Leonard Fournette is a legit running back. I can honestly say that. Leonard Fournette's a legit running back. Allen Roberts, you know, Allen Hearns is a very good receiver. And how better would this team be if Allen Robinson was on the field? I mean, they could be much better. Defensively, even after the game, even after our game, I still thought this Jacksonville defense is legit. They are a legit defense. This is a this is a top five defense, in my honest opinion. Because, I mean, they have the line with Malik Jackson, Calais Campbell, Dante Fowler. You got good you got a veteran linebacker plus Lusney, a good Miles Jack. Kelvin Smith got better. And then the court, the secondary, need I say more? A.J. Bouye, extremely good. I hate it we didn't pick him up in free agency. And Jalen Ramsey. And, and I want to answer a question with a question. And I, I hate to ask this question in, but I just want a quick one from you. Do you think we should have just stayed at number one and picked Jalen Ramsey at number one? I'm starting to think that. I think we should have just stayed at number one and picked Jalen Ramsey. Now, granted, we got Jack Conklin, but Jalen Ramsey's a pretty darn good corner. It's a tough question, man, and there's definitely some room there for it to be discussed. I mean, it's like Jack Conklin had a great year, and like not to take away from anything that he did, but his rookie year did a great year. This year hasn't been as good, but he's still playing at a very high level. But... Ramsey's been a, a difference maker for them. And, you know, it's Ramsey's been good against everybody he's played outside of Derrick Henry. And for some reason, Derrick – well, I mean, not for <laughs> some reason. Derrick Henry's about four times his size. That's why. But, I mean, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's tough. The one thing I'd say is just no just because of all the picks we got for You know, all of the stuff that we got for it. You're talking about one yep. guy compared to many. But you might look back on that. You know, after we get use all these picks and be like, man, we should have just taken him. We should have just stayed there and taken him. Um, and, you know, he's been yeah. playing outstanding. We, but we got Conklin, but we also got a lot of other guys, you know, for that pick we as did. well. We did. That gave us, you know, uh, we got that. You know, we got Derrick Henry because of that. Absolutely. You know, we got Taewon Taylor because of that. And also, you know, we got uh, Corey Davis because of that. Hopefully he gets back on the field. But – Absolutely. Yeah, that definitely is um, 
I agree with that. Um, but for me to answer this question, you know, Jacksonville's starting to scare me a little more. I don't think that Jacksonville's still our main competitor, and we'll talk about that. We got some AFC South Power rankings coming up here in a minute. But uh, they don't scare me as much as some other teams in our division. Uh, but that defense is legit. And, you know, Glenn used to say on the show all the time, how many, like, first-round picks are you going to – you know, top five picks are you going to get before you're good? How many off-seasons are you going to win before you're good? Eventually it has to happen. And it's happening. You know, Jacksonville has a, a team that can play football. You know, they can't – they're you – know, imagine if Jacksonville had a good quarterback right now. Imagine if Jacksonville had a Matt Stafford right now. Like, how dominant mm-hmm. Jacksonville would be if they had a good quarterback on that roster. It'd be nasty. You know, they'd be clear favorites. They would scare me to death. Yeah, they'd be clear favorites. It'd be terrible to be a Titans fan or a Houston fan or an Indianapolis fan, for that matter. Uh, it, that They're one piece away, really, from having a very good football team. This defense is very free. Although, I will say this, and this leads me into my next question, Chris. We're seeing Big Ben decline big time. You know, the Big Ben is falling and falling fast. So I wanted to ask you, how much are you putting these five picks on Big Ben, and how much credit are you giving to Jacksonville's defense? I would actually have to say it is, I think, I would say 60% on Jacksonville's defense being very good, 40% on Big Ben. You can't, now, true enough, throwing five interceptions, throwing five interceptions is inexcusable for any quarterback. You're not going to be successful. I mean, I'll use a funny analogy. I was playing with the Titans on Madden, and market, I had, I ended up throwing five interceptions. That doesn't do anybody any good whatsoever. So I would say, you know, a lot of it is on Big Ben, but the the, the opportunisticness of the Jacksonville defense, and because they have that good pass rush and that good line up front, they can be more opportunistic. They can be more aggressive and go for those picks, and they're going to get them. But that is that is an interesting note. I mean, you're seeing that with Big Ben going down. You know, Antonio Brown is tripping a bit. So I I don't know if the Titans can get on the roll. I mean, I know we play. I know I might be getting ahead of myself, but with Pittsburgh on the schedule, if we can get on the roll and Pittsburgh declines a bit, maybe they could be right for the picking. But again, I'm not going to jump ahead on that. But yeah, Jacksonville is about a piece away. They could be very scary in the years to come. I agree, and I think we have to outplan them and outplay them and outdraft them. You know, I, I think we have to do all of those things in order to stay ahead of Jacksonville. Because right now, I think we are ahead of Jacksonville when everybody's healthy and we're on the field. We well, saw what happened when we played them. Um, <clears throat> we're clearly the better team when everybody's healthy. But we have to stay ahead of them, and that's through good drafting. That's through, good, sorry, good general manager's decisions. That's through good coaching, and that's just through having a better team. And, and we got to continue to do that. Right now we're ahead of them, but that doesn't. that's not necessarily in the bag. We have to keep playing uh, and keep working and keep drafting to stay ahead of them. That gap is, I mean, that gap the last couple of years was wide, but that gap is quickly closing. You're right. Let's move on to the next game here, though. 
Uh, San Francisco went to Indianapolis and lost 26-23 to against the Colts in overtime. So the Colts play San Francisco, which, you know, is a very bad team, one of the worst top-to-bottom rosters in the NFL, and it goes to overtime. And, and you know, it was a tight game, but the, the Colts barely sneak out with a win. What does this tell you for this Monday night matchup? This tells me we better be ready to play some football. We better not play the way we played against Miami and Houston because if we don't, Indy could beat us. And, no, the Indianapolis Colts, I think roster top to bottom were better. But at the same time, you've seen that the Titans, yeah, they get up for teams that normally they shouldn't have beaten. I mean, let's see. Yeah, they tried to come back against Oakland, even though they fell. But they were up against, they knew Jacksonville was better, was getting good. So they seemed prepared for that. But they were up for Seattle and were down for Houston and down for Miami. We cannot allow ourselves to play down to the competition. Because if you do that, you can lose. And I just, I, and this is the thing that I, it just grinds my gears when it comes to the Tennessee Titans. We don't play to win. We seem to always play not to lose. And if we come in with that mentality Monday night, we are going to be leaving very disappointed from Nissan Stadium because they will play not to lose. Jacoby Brissett has shown he can lead his team to win. And you still got T.Y. Hilton to deal with, which I'm hoping they put a Dory Jackson on T.Y. Hilton some to kind of alleviate that speed. And we can't underestimate them. So first off, we got to get out to Jacoby Brissett. We got to keep him in the pocket, bottle him in, and alleviate some of that, and we can get a win. But if we play not to lose like we usually do, then the Colts are going to win another game on us, and we can't allow that. No, I 100% agree with that. I think you're absolutely right. If Marcus is in this game, I think – it should be, I'll say this, should be an easy victory. With Castle in, we can still win this game. We should have won against Miami. We can still win this game. You just have to come out. You have to come prepared. You have to start the game when the first whistle blows. You can't wait until halftime to figure everything out. We, I mean, It happens so often, and it shows you, one, that our coaching staff can really adjust well. Like, how many games, even last year, did we come back? Or did we come very close to coming back? Mm-hmm. This coaching yeah. staff adjusts well. We just don't prepare well. We're not preparing the way we ought to. That shows in that first half when, you know, we struggle. You look at the, the Seahawks game. We were mm-hmm. barely scoring. And then, you know, the, the floodgates just opened in the second half. We adjusted well. I mean, you look at every game that we've played this year. You look at... Every or most games that we played last year, we come out struggling, and then we dominate the third quarter. We are the best third quarter team in the NFL. We we just yeah. dominate the third quarter, and then a lot of times we get to a lead. Expect you know you look at Jacksonville, you look at Seattle. We get to a point where we have such a lead that we're like, all right, like let's you know we're gonna, we're going to quit playing a little bit. We're going to start playing some prevent defense and and stuff. And I've talked about on the show how much I hate that, but yeah. Yeah, but we can't do that. We have to come out ready to play in this game, especially if we have Matt Castle starting again. 
we have to come out of the gate ready to dominate this Colts team, ready to play, ready to shut down Brissett, ready to move the ball. I don't think we're going to have a lot of issues shutting down Brissett. I, I think we kind of figured yeah. it out with Watson a little bit, and let's be honest, Brissett is like the poor man's Deshaun Watson. Agreed. So I agree we, with we that. We need to come out. We need to be ready to play. Um, we need yeah. to move the ball on offense. That's going to be a big thing. And we'll talk about that game more, but the Colts team, I still think, is not a very good football team from top to bottom, especially with Andrew Luck out. This is definitely a winnable game. But let's move on here. Yeah. KC goes into Houston, the only undefeated team left in the NFL, Kansas City, and the all-powerful Chiefs overcome the Texans. But the Texans put up a good fight for most of this football game. Final score, 42-34. to 34. My, my first question for this, it, not even really a question because I know what you're going to say because there's only one answer. Deshaun Watson's the future in Houston. And that is a very, very scary thought. Absolutely. I mean, you've heard it all last year that if the Texans could just find a quarterback, they are going to be a very tough team to defeat with the defense that they have. Unfortunately for us, Jacksonville, Indianapolis, and for some other teams in the AFC, I think the Texans have found their quarterback. And Deshaun Watson, I liked him coming out of I liked him coming out of uh, Clemson. And I was at the draft with a friend of mine and we were just talking and I told him, I said, What was the first thing I said? When Houston said they they elected Deshaun Watson, when they selected him, my first words were, holy, you know what? <laughs> I mean, you know, it was like, ah, damn. They, I mean, Chris, they might have found have, their quarterback. How long have we been saying that Houston is a quarterback away? Probably for the last three years. Right. And now they found one. But I will say his role might have gotten a little bit tougher, maybe just a little, because that Texan defense took not one, but two major hits in that game. Absolutely, they did. Two major hits with um, both J.J. Watt and Whitney Merciless out for the season. Yeah, that Texan defense took a major hit. If so Houston, that puts a lot more. If you're Houston, yeah, that puts a lot more on the shoulder. You're right. If you're Houston and you pick like two guys, what two guys do we really not want to lose? And then you put on top of that, that Cushing's out because of the steroids. Mm-hmm. I mean, that yep. linebacking core is depleted. Now your defensive line has just gotten worse. Your secondary got worse in the off season. Nope. Boy, oh boy, does it not look good. I mean, it is it is devastation that is happening in this Houston defense. I mean, it's it's bad, and that's their, their strength, so it's going to put a lot more pressure on Watson. I mean, you're 100% correct. A lot more pressure on Deshaun Watson to perform. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, we go back to it. It was like, well, the Houston Texas defense finished number one in the league without J.J. Watt, but that was because you had a healthy Jadavion Clowney and a healthy Whitney Merciless, and you also had A.J. Bouye to help you with that. 
now you don't have Bouye's gone to Jacksonville. You don't have Merciless or Watt anymore. Like you said, Cushing suspended. He's probably not going to play in the game against us uh, when they come down here. And so now Deshaun Watson is going to have to throw for more than 300 yards just to keep him in the game because their defense might get exploited. So that's going to be going to be interesting to see how Houston continues to go with Watt and Merciless now out. What do they do to replace them? Because those are two big-time pairs of shoes to fill. And it's what's scary, too, 261 yards, five touchdowns, no interceptions. That's Deshaun Watson's stats from that Kansas City game against a very good Kansas City defense, mind you. Five passing mm-hmm. touchdowns in that game. That, I mean, that's what's yeah. scary is, is he is a lot better than I think a lot of us would have thought that he would be at this time. I thought it was going to take him a lot longer. Now, mind you, they have simplified the offense for him, which is what you have to do when you have a quarterback that's coming from like a, a simplistic college offense into a you know, more complicated offense in the NFL. But his running ability mixed with the passing is making him very successful early on. But we've seen this before where – you know, if you're a guy that runs a lot, they're gonna either you're gonna get injury problems or the or well, also they're gonna and, catch up to you and slash or exactly the NFL is gonna figure you out. Um, so we'll yep. see when that happens with Watson and if it happens. But right now he's playing outstanding. Let's hope though a defense or two can give us something on film that we can work with for that Week 13 matchup when they come. Yeah. To Houston, sorry, when they come to Nashville on December 3rd, we definitely want to win that game. So, one more thing here. Yeah, we have to. Exactly. One more thing here, and we'll hit a quick commercial break. AFC South Power Rankings. So, in the division, I'll lead off, Chris, because I have mine ready here. I have two power rankings, two sets of power rankings, Chris, with Marcus and without Marcus is what I'm calling them right here. With Marcus. Good one. The Titans are number one. I still think we have the best overall team. I still think that we have the best talent if he's playing. I think Houston's the second best team, and I think Jacksonville's the third. Even with the injuries, Jacksonville has a liability at the most important position. Houston's found their guy at the most important position, and the Colts round up third. Without Marcus Mariota, it goes Houston, then Jacksonville, then Tennessee, and then Indy. And I almost put Tennessee last. The only reason I won't is because I do think we have a lot more talent at a lot of other positions that that the Colts don't have. What do you got? Well, let's see. I would have to agree with that. I think, honestly enough, right now, with Marcus, I would have to venture to say that, well, this is pre-injuries to Houston. I would have had to put Houston first because they beat us. Um, I would say we're second, a very, very close second. Jacksonville third, Indianapolis fourth. As of right now, I would stick with Houston. Um, but Jacksonville will have to be two. We're, I think, still number three, and Indy is four. And this is without – this is um, – well, no, I take that back. I'm sorry. Let me chase it up. Switch it. Jacksonville has to go to number one with the injuries to J.J. Watt and Whitney Merciless. I think 
Jacksonville's one. Um, Houston is still two because they got Deshaun. Three is us without Marcus Mariota. And then Indy is last. Because we got to take into account the injuries to Houston. we got to take into account that, I mean, that very impressive win uh, by the Jacksonville Jaguars over Pittsburgh. In Pittsburgh, mind you. And then just how lethargic we looked against Miami. But I still think that's going to change. And we're still going to end up being the best team in the AFC South. I think Marcus is going to come back. We're going to be fine. We're going to right the ship. But um, Jacksonville is not going to make it easy for us. No, they're not. And no, Houston, you're, you're right. And Houston ain't going down without a fight. No, you're right. This this division's a lot less wide open than I think a lot of us thought, and myself included. But let's take a quick commercial break. When we come back, well, let's go over this game from last week and preview the the game we have coming up next week and our official predictions. We'll be right back. Hey, y'all, you fans of Two-Tone Uncensored, as I'm sure most of you know, Matt and Glenn no longer with the show. We're trying to switch things up, change it up a little bit, and I want your input to see what you guys like, what you don't like. So feel free to email us at twotoneuncensored at gmail.com. Hit me up on Facebook or Twitter, however you get a hold of me, do it. I'd love to hear your guys' input, what you like, what you don't like, what ideas you have. Thanks a lot for the continued support of this show, and tighten up. All right, we're back from that quick commercial break. This is me, Ryan Moreland, your host of Two-Tone Uncensored, along with my special guest host and good friend, Chris Newell of Titans in Truth. So let's jump into this game last week. Titans obviously lose 16-10 to to the Jay Cutler-led Dolphins. Let's start on the offensive side of the ball because a lot has to be said here, Chris. The first thing I want to bring up, Titans gained 20 yards or less on all but two of our 15 possessions. As as you said earlier, went three and out on eight drives and had negative yards on three separate drives. Unbelievably stagnant on offense in this game. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. I mean, watching that game, seeing all of that, I'm like, is this game going to put to sleep? Because I and I agree, eight three and outs, you know, negative yardage is just not going to help anybody. And I mean, we have to get off the better start, and we have to be consistent on drive. Some of that is play calling. Uh, some of that is just pure execution. You know, there were a couple of plays. Uh, for example, in the running game, uh, that's an example. One being, um, there was a run by. DeMarco Murray, where it looked like he was going into the hole, and right when he was going through the hole, it looked like he might gain a few yards. It looked like he had about a good five to six-yard gain. He ends up coming backwards, going backwards a bit, trying to get outside, and instead turned that into about a two- or three-yard gain. And it was like, why are you going backwards? You basically cost yourself yards there. And Derrick Henry, the same thing. There was a play where um, Derrick Henry was going to a hole, and then he kind of stutter-stepped a little bit and stuttered backwards and cost himself some yards and ended up being a loss. So 
I think some of that was bad vision on the part of the running back. Again, Matt Castle was not making plays. I mean, he missed a play to Eric Decker. Um, you know, he had the big 59-yard uh, touchdown that got called back due to a penalty. A lot of that was penalties as well. You know, false starts and holding. I mean, unnecessary because we average about five penalties a game. We had 11. Not going to help you win ball games. No, you're absolutely right, Chris. It, it, it's unbelievably how poor we were on offense. Derrick Henry really struggled in this game. Murray played okay, but it was like it, it took until like later in the game for him to get started, for him to really get you know bust out some runs. And, and really, if you look at his like yards per carry, it doesn't tell the story of the game because he had a few that he busted for like ten, eleven, twelve, which really helped that average out. You know. Matt Castle, 65% completion, 141 yards, 4.41 yards per attempt, which which is just atrocious, just ugly. One touchdown, six sacks. And and really, I I watched the game live. I re-watched the game. um, And then I like to to pull out my own highlights. And and it's not that all the plays... You know, scoring drives and stuff that they show you on ESPN. I like to think, pull out uh, highlight plays and watch them later that I like, that I think tell a tale. And some ones that I pulled out in offense is some of these sacks. You know, when I'm, I'm hit, you hit that four and a half second mark, like I said earlier in the show. Four and a half mm-hmm. seconds, that sack's on the quarterback. Offensive line can't be blamed. I firmly believe in that. Something I was taught growing up playing football. Four and a half seconds, it's, it is the quarterback's fault. And all but one of those sacks happened at the four and a half over the four and a half second mark, or him scrambling. And that's the thing is, yeah. like, he takes off. If you, Marcus is in those games, you saw at least two, if I'm remembering correctly, at least two plays in which Castle tried to take off and got hit behind the line. Still technically a sack. If Marcus is in the game, you know that's a six seven yard gain. He the, the defense isn't going to be able to react fast enough to hit him there. They're going to have to – they're not going to hit him. You know, they're going to watch him run out of bounds and, you know, maybe Richard Sherman his ass or or just watch him slot or whatever. But you're not – most of the time, unless you're going to do the Richard Sherman method, you're not going to hit Marcus. He's, he's pretty smart I about do. that. All of his injuries have come in the pocket. You know, we, we've talked about that a hundred times before. I know me and you have talked about that a lot. You're not going to do it. I didn't like yeah. the fact that – and Castle can't rely on the run. He can't. It can happen every now and again. We see with Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, guys that are really slow. Every now and again, they'll do it. Mm-hmm. But you can't rely on it. You have to keep your, those eyes downfield or throw the ball away. Yeah. You can't run and football. I, and I want to add one other nugget to that. You know, another part of the reason why I think our offense really struggled, and this is probably an underlining uh, stat, Miami has to give thanks to their punter, uh, Hawk. This guy pinned us back deep multiple times. I mean, he had us inside the 20, started off mostly, pretty much most of the game, with the exception of the two turnovers we created. Um, Their punter was a big reason of our struggles, too, because a lot of times we were starting inside the 20, inside the 10 uh, as well. So i got to add that little nugget in there, too. 
All those guys that that talk about how punting's outdated, that we shouldn't punt, this is a good game for them to watch to see how punting can change a football game because it wasn't just him. Kern had an excellent game as well, punting the football. I mean, both punters were on point in this game and changed the narrative of this game, especially with two offenses that were really struggling to move the football. Both punters changed the, the story of this game. You know, go back and watch this game. If you're listening to this, you got the extra time. Go back and watch this game and look at where those punts are coming from and where they're ending up and then where the next drive goes. Both punters played an outstanding game, although I will give them it was an easier game to play as a punter. You were getting a shit ton of looks, obviously. You were getting um, a lot of action to get in the rhythm, but, I mean, both guys played outstanding in this game. Uh, one big thing for me, 20 rush attempts, 32 total passes. When Matt Castle's your starting quarter, if, if, if Marcus played and we had a 20-32 game, I'm 100% fine with it. Mark, you can do that with Marcus. Yeah. It's still a passing league, even though we're a running team. That's okay. 20-32, when you have 12 more pass plays than you do rushing plays, and you're not I – and mean, we were down you know, by 10 for a while, but we were never down huge. And we're passing that often, it's a mistake. And it, I know that they were really teeing off on the running game, but we need to figure out a way to, to – run the football effectively even when they're going to tee off on the running game. We need to. Absolute must. I didn't like the play calling. I didn't like how we went with, I don't know, Rubisky gets too cute, man. Sometimes you just need to do that dive and do it again. And and you might go a three and out. And on the next drive, do it again, and then it's going to break. You need to just pound that rock. And but plays will break. We've seen it a million times if you've watched this game. Yeah. And I agree because I've said that ad nauseum that sometimes Terry Robisky gets way too cute trying to go with jet sweeps and other different plays. And, um, I mean, you don't need to do that. And sometimes you got to even be able to – you got to run the football. You know, even though the run game is not working, you don't have to necessarily abandon it because, I mean – Sometimes it's all right to run the football even when the other team knows you're going to run the ball. It is your job. It is your job to run the ball down their throats. Like in the game, in the uh, last part, of which I know we'll get to, you know, Miami, Jay Ajayi in that last drive, they obviously still ran the ball. We knew they were going to run the ball, but they still ran it and were able to get a few yards from it. So, they should not have ran past the ball more than run. They should have early set the pass and set up the run, but that doesn't mean a high volume of passes. But I mean, 20 carries between DeMarco and Derek is that that's not an that's not a recipe for success with this particular team. You know, nine carries for I believe it was four yards for Derek Henry. That's not going to do it. So they better figure that out of how they can incorporate and make things a little bit easier for Marcus or Matt, whoever is in there. Derrick Henry's longest run was more yards. It was 11-yard carry. It was more yards than what he had for the game. We had a lot of negative running plays. That That's something that we should be able to with this offensive line, line up hat on hat, and push 
and get and with Derrick Henry too, a guy that falls forward and gets you two and a half yards, three yards. That should be something that we should be able to do. That was one thing I thought the offensive line let us down. Although I will say this is a good defensive line. We played a good defensive line this week. As bad as Miami is, they do have a solid defensive line, especially in the center. But we need to be able uh, to push them forward. When I went back and watched the tape, I was impressed in the running game all game long by only one offensive lineman. Only one, I thought, played in the running game well all game long, and that was Quentin Spain. And he's a guy that has been playing great all season. You know, I've, I've, we rarely see a bad play from him. I, you know, he might be the most consistent. I won't say the best because I don't think talent-wise he's the best, obviously. I think Conklin and Luan are, yeah. are better offensive linemen for sure. But I think consistency, Quentin Spain mm-hmm. is the most consistent offensive lineman that I think we have. I agree. And I, you know, I think honestly enough, I've heard all this talk about it that, you know, yeah, Taylor Wan and Jack Conklin, you know, they're your bookend tackles. They're going to be fine. Quentin Spain is going to be very, is still pretty good. And Ben Jones is a good stable at center. But I think a lot of people are going to start to think, and a lot of people have said, and what we're really going to probably end up at, Josh Klein could very well be the weak link of this offensive line. And uh, Chris, I definitely think he is. And, I mean, that's not trying to say anything bad or knock on Josh Klein. I mean, I think we still have a very good offensive line. It's a decent problem to have, but it is a problem. It becomes so, you know, you put it under a microscope and you analyze it so much because Marcus is not in. Like, that's obvious, but I want to I wanna reiterate that. You know, this offensive line is good, very good. But, you know, Josh Kahn goes under that microscope because Marcus is not in. When Matt Castle's in and people start teeing off on the running game, we're going to start looking for mistakes. But, you know, you're, you're facing so different looks. You're facing stacked boxes. In that scenario, you know, you're going to start looking for the weakest link. And Klein is the weakest link, even though he's played well. He is the weakest link on this offensive line. But yeah. he's still playing, like, decently solid. He's still a decent, you know, right guard. I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not like, calling for his replacement or anything like that, obviously. It just he, get, he gets under that microscope when Matt Castle's out there playing, for sure. I agree. I mean, it's, it's much more telling. With Marcus, you can kind of hide that a bit. But with Matt Castle in there, any mistake that is made, it becomes much more obvious um, on that. So, I mean, like the, the phantom fumble play, you know, two rushes are coming off of the right side. So that tells you it. It shows a little of a mistake that was made um, by anybody. Because we've we've hinted at this play before, so let's talk about this, Chris. Like, first off, I've watched this play quite a few times today because this was a huge play. Because really, if you think about it, this play doesn't happen. We win the ball game ten to nine. If this play doesn't happen, then we win this football game. An ugly one, for sure, but we win this football game. So I've looked at it quite a bit. First thing I notice, Matt Castle does not call out the adjustment. You see them push guys mm-hmm. on the on the right side, or sorry, the yeah, the right side. Does not call out the adjustment. First thing I noticed, 
And that's something that Mariota would call out. So Matt Castle needs to be better prepared. You've been in the league for 13 years. You know, you should be able to call this out. You should be able to see this and call this out. That was the first thing I noticed. The second thing I noticed, we have two men come in by themselves. Look at Ben Jones on this play. Ben Jones is sitting back there blocking nobody. And it's really not his fault. If If the adjustment would have been called out... We would have shifted because Lawan comes back and finds someone to block. But at first, you watch Lawan drop back. Nobody's there. He, I mean, he's looking. He, you can see his head move left and right, looking for someone to block. And he finds someone, and he, you know, he helps out in a double team. But all they did was just they showed, you know, blitz and then drop back on the left side, put pressure on the right side. An adjustment mm-hmm. should have been called in that play, and they beat yeah. us on that play in play calling. Then. An absolutely terrible, terrible call by the referees. You know, it's to me the arms going forward. That's I mean that to me it didn't look like a fumble from the past. But even if it is, you had two refs. You'd see the head referee come in mm-hmm. to the, immediately. He walks to Matt Castle. Another uh, um, official comes up right to Matt Castle. You know, to, nope. that, that's the whistle and the play dead. We're like done. You know, Coach Malarkey even talked about in the press conference that his offensive line heard whistles. When I played yeah, it back, I could I hear agree. a whistle. I mean, I could hear it when I played it back in live. I could hear the whistle. And then nobody, nobody, you know, just look at everybody in that backfield. They don't block. You know, their safety was just walking. You know, no one, uh, there was a few people that blocked. You know, Lawan got lit up on that play because Lawan thought the play was dead and he got hit and wasn't expecting it. You know, there was there was a couple people blocking for sure, but most people weren't. No one's going after the football. That was yeah. a play that they just got for free. And, it, and it, like, even if you give them the fumble, it should have been at the spot dead that was picked spot. up. It should have been dead on the spot. It absolutely should have been because no one was playing the football. That's the main point. I heard a whistle when I listened to the, the, the playback. The offensive line swears they heard a whistle. No one's going after the football. You know, there was like what four guys that blocked on that play, so most of their team thought the play was dead. And you know, even those guys could have thought the play was dead, but it was just like, you know, you're taught to play to the whistle, which is a problem. I think that we should have played play the football. But if they heard a whistle, which I did, you don't. You, you they teach you from Pee Wee football. You play to hear the whistle. When the whistle hits, you don't hit anybody. Right, I agree. And I, you know, I'm gonna talk about that play. But I want to take it a, a step further than that. It's that horrible mistake the officials made on this offensive pass interference on John o. Smith to play before that. And if the touchdown stands, not just it will be 10 to 9, it would have been 17 9 Titans win because that would have been a touchdown for us. That point of the game. Instead of it being 10-0 Miami, it would have been 7-3 Tennessee. It would have been 7-3 us. We would have been ahead because the ladies scored a touchdown from there, and then that play never happened on that. And even a lot and even a lot of people have said that that was probably a bad call. That shouldn't have been called. It was ticky-tack. They could have let that go. And, you know, it led to that. That was a 14-point swing in the favor of Miami. We lose seven, 
we lose seven points. They gain seven points. And not to mention, I even listened to the – I got to listen to the playback. I even heard whistles. Right. I heard whistles on the play. Right. And, you know, um, even the broadcast was saying, yeah, that's an incomplete pass. That's an incomplete pass. Everybody pretty much stopped. And most of the offensive linemen were looking to make sure that Matt was – that Castle was okay. And even when Rashad was running to the end zone, there was no signal of a touchdown. They were basically saying, you know, Rashad Jones is running, but, you know, it's going to be an incomplete pass, so that won't matter. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the officials say it's a touchdown just out of nowhere? How are you going to say it's a touchdown? You didn't even, you didn't even call that. The, the sideline ref ran with him. You can see that in the replay. The sideline ref on the – the near side ran with him. Every other official was that. You know, I, like I have experience playing the game. I've talked about it on that show. I have experience officiating the game at the high school level. Um, I, I got my like license in Ohio to to officiate football games last year. The rules are definitely different between high school and and the NFL. But I, you know, I, I feel like I'm very familiar with the rules in the NFL. I wouldn't have called that a fumble, personally. But even if you did, you have to call that dead at the spot that he picked up the fumble. No one is playing the ball. No one is playing the ball. The refs aren't ready. Only one official is playing the ball. Like, I mean, you have to call that back. And you're 100% right on the the, offensive pass interference. We talked about this last week with the push-offs. Uh, with DeAndre Hopkins, he gets away with a push off yep. on almost every single play. Every play, every yes, play Hopkins gets away with a push off. Every play, and it's and it was his. It's, I don't know, man. You're allowed to extend the arm. You're not allowed to push off, but you're allowed to extend the arm. Yeah, I agree. And I mean that just. I think that was a domino effect. That was like a microcosm of how this game went, and. You know, uh, and I'm, I'm going to talk about the offensive play. Yes, you're right. The other ref was running with Rashard, but, again, but you know, he never even gave a signal. He never put up a touchdown no, you're signal. you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. He just ran down with it. He ran down with it, but he never signaled touchdown or anything. And they just decided to say, you know what, what the heck, just, just give him a touchdown. Let's just give him a touchdown so they decide to review it. But – on the offensive pass to the first call, even when I looked at the replay, I didn't even see it. I'm like, where's the offensive pass to the first call they're talking about? It's like a phantom call. I'm like, where is it? And yeah, I mean, that was a terrible call. I just, I. Mm, well, here's the thing: I anybody like who's it. like a football fan who's not, um, you know, really know the world of officiating. There's two big rules in officiating. Uh, or three big, I guess you could say. The first thing is, like, you never call anything that you don't see, obviously. You never call anything that you don't see. You don't ever mirror a call is the second big, big rule. If That's why you see so many times where someone, you know, throws up the, the field goal's good and the other guy doesn't. Or, you know, the touchdown's good and the other guy doesn't. You don't mirror mm-hmm. a call. If, if you didn't see it, then you don't make the call. You can stand with his call. You can you can say that his call was good, but you'd never mirror a call. The third rule, 
never make a call you're unsure of. And that you know, that's why we didn't see the, the touchdown call there, is he wasn't sure that that was a touchdown, so he didn't make the touchdown call. I don't know. That that entire play was I thought it was terrible, you know, and, and and like Malarkey covered in his press conference, you know, he said that New York played it and didn't, you know, they didn't hear it. He's like, but I trust my offensive lineman. And, you know, like we both said, we both heard the whistle. We both heard the whistle. It definitely should have been dead there. But let's move on here to the defense. Yeah. Here's something that I want to talk about. You know, it's something we talked about on the other side, or I mentioned on the other side, that we had only two possessions go over 20 yards. Miami right. only had one. Miami only had one drive that went over 20 yards in this game. Bayard had another great game. The fumble recovery. Two defensive players for us played 100% of the snaps. It was him and Logan Ryan. I thought both played a great game. Mm-hmm. I agree. Turnovers were the difference, man. They only had one drive over 20 yards, and they did score on that drive. So seven points is yep. what they should have ended the game with. Without turnovers, they end with seven points. That's yeah, it. I definitely agree. I definitely agree. And I would say another guy that really had a, a, a excellent game, is it me or I, I'm guessing there must be a fountain of youth. I'm here in Nashville. There must be a fountain of youth around here because Wesley Woodyard must have found it. I don't know where the sound of youth is, but I'll have to find it and take a good dive in it. Because Chris, I'm sure you're the same way. How much bad shit did you say about this guy last year? And then this year he comes out, and and he's a a different guy. He's a different guy. I did. I did. I'm like, I I have to – I honestly will have to apologize to Wesley Woodyard because I did say some bad stuff about him uh, last year, but – he he found the found of youth. He is playing out of his mind. He's playing well. Kevin Byard two straight weeks with turnovers, and I want to say I don't know if that was Logan Ryan or Dory Jackson that caused that fumble uh, that Byard picked up on. I hate he didn't score off of it. You know we were talking about. Well, I'm gonna get to that in a second. Ty Smith only had one snap on defense he made the best of it an interception if he had kept straight line i think he takes it back but i think he thought somebody was gonna um was gonna catch him so he kind of turned toward the middle of the field but good interception there um but i mean got that interception because though woodyard played amazing amazing on that coverage I mean, that was yeah. – he played excellent. Like you said, Ty Smith – and it, yeah, I agree with you. He should have taken that down the sideline. That was a dumb play, but, you know, that's why he's on defense and not offense. Um, right. And, and only seeing one snap a game. But, man, that was impressive. I agree. And I um, – I mean, I think the – you know, I've heard a lot of others like on 102.5 and 104.5 here in Nashville, you know, thought, well, the defense wasn't really that great. I mean, honestly, yes, I understand the Miami offense is horrible. It's not great. But, you know, Jay Cutler used to have some success against us. Five touchdowns, no picks. Uh, Before this game with the Bears, he had an interception. He had an interception 
against us. They only had one touchdown. Only had 92 yards passing on the game. And anybody, I'll go as far as this. Anybody who says that our defense didn't play a good game didn't watch the same game that I did. I mean, one drive of 20 yards or more. One yeah. drive. If you're getting turnovers that lead to points and you're and you're going less than 20 yards to do it, especially, you know, that's on your offense. You can't expect your defense to stop those. Any One drive of 20 yards or more, that's an excellent performance. You know, Mike Malarkey, Dick LeBeau were talking about it last week. You're going to see a different team. You're going to see a different performance. They lived up to that. In my opinion, they 100% lived up to that. This defense performed as good as you can expect a defense to perform. But the the two turnovers proved very, very costly in a low-scoring football game. I agree. That did. And, uh, and I mean, you can't really put on the defense. I, I mean, unfortunately, the one drive they did go more than 20 yards ended up being the score that they didn't need to give up. But as a whole, yes, defense play a lot better. I, I give credit to Adoree Jackson, too. Adoree, I, I would say this with Adoree. Adoree had as worse of a game as you could have imagined for him. But, hey, you, we expected that. With you know him being a rookie, we knew there were going to be a time where he would have a bad game. That was one, but he came back, played well. The secondary as a whole played well, and I want to say the biggest thing that happened with the defense, the reason why the defense played so well, the MVP of this defense, and this is going to sound crazy, is Bryce McCain not being on the field. That was the biggest play <laughs> of the game. <laughs> I love that, Chris. Uh, no, I mean, you brought up Dory Jackson. You know, I watched that uh, that fumble that he caused, you know, that Byard scooped up quite a few times. Dory Jackson didn't take the best angle on a shifty running back, though. I mean, it's a shifty running back, and cornerbacks shouldn't be expected. You know, in a, in a really good defense, cornerbacks shouldn't be expected to make a lot of plays on running backs. You know, mm-hmm. so he did take a little bit of a weird angle, but he popped the ball out. You know, I mean, like, how can he be mad at that play? He got the ball out, and Bayard scoops hey. it up. I mean, yep. and I, you know what? It's We've talked about it on the show before, you know, in, in weeks prior. I I played cornerback a lot growing up, and, like, you ha- you know, everybody is always like, oh, but it's a cornerback. Like, that, that's not an excuse. Like, you have to be you – you don't get the excuse to be an ankle biter or an ankle tackler. When you're a cornerback, you still have to play. You still have to play. You have to be physical. And even though he didn't take the greatest of angles, he did pop the ball loose and he threw his hat in there. He didn't hit him at the ankle. He didn't hit them below the knee. He didn't hit them at the shoulder pad. He hit him at the waist. That's that's all you can expect. That's all you can expect. Yeah, and I mean, I've even I played you know defensive end in high school, and I mean even. Always taught. If anything, you tackle the football. You tackle the football. You put your shoulder and your helmet to the football to knock it out. And you know that was something that he did on that play. You know, I agree. Maybe not the best angle, but hey, it worked. And I still don't like the corners playing off as much as they do, but uh, I think it was better because I always say there was a technique that was always taught in high school, 
that the cornerback should play on a receiver that you would rather take a chance on them going outside than the slant inside. Play nose to inside eye. You play nose to inside eye. Take away the inside. You you would rather take your chances on forcing them outside on a nine route instead of giving up the slant. And so I think they did better with that. Um, That's still something I think needs to be worked on. But they did play a lot better than expected. Again, the play of the game, no price that came in the game. I loved it. I mean, it, it definitely changes a little bit in, in the pro scheme when you have guys that can make accurate passes down to the sideline, you know, at 40 yards. But we've, we haven't in a while have had guys that were athletic enough, you know, to line up playing the slant and then play the go route. We have guys that are that athletic now. We have guys that can get yeah. back before the ball gets there. Dory Jackson, you know, you know, he's raw for sure, but he might be top five in the league at lining up against the slot and then playing the go route because he has those ball skills, that speed, that athletic ability. There's not a lot of guys that can do that, you know, uh, mm-hmm. very effectively. But, he, I mean, he does. And one other thing I wanted to say is, like, Jarrell Casey with the one sack. Well, obviously right. very very good for Casey. You know, I mean, he plays at the the end, but, I mean, he's, he's a defensive tackle. Let's be honest, he's built for that. He has the frame for that. That was nice, but, like, I don't know. We – they did try to get the ball away quickly uh, in this game, so that limited it some. But we have struggled to get to the quarterback. We have struggled to put sacks, you know, in our stat column so far this year. We've put a ton of pressure. I, I you know, there, I've been talked about it on the show before. We have put pressure on quarterbacks. We do not get the sack though. That has been a problem as finishing that pressure and ending up with a sack. Yeah. I definitely agree. Pass rushing has definitely been a bit of an issue. I, you know, really think that I think some of it has to do with the ball getting put out quicker uh, by quarterback to alleviate that. But at the same time, you know, this is happening against offensive lines that are not very good. I mean, we could get to Deshaun Watson. He's very mobile, and so is Russell Wilson. But, I mean, we had a nice performance against Blake Bortles. Uh, you know, before that, and I mean, Jay Cutler was just smart enough to get it out quicker. Maybe with Jacoby Brissett, with him being younger and maybe not as experienced, and with that bad offensive line, we may have some better luck. Hopefully we keep him from not running. But, you know, Jarrell Casey has got to get to the quarterback. Arapoa Morgan has got to get to the quarterback. And my problem with the defensive line is not necessarily those three. You're getting nothing from Sylvester Williams. You're getting nothing from Daquan Jones. Austin Johnson is not getting many opportunities to be in the game to make an effect. I think the best defensive lineman as far as nose tackle, and I mean nose tackle is a big composition for a 3-4 defense, is Antoine Woods, and he's on the practice squad. And so we don't have that good nose tackle or that other 3-4 defensive end on the other side of Jarrell Casey to alleviate pressure off of that. So on Morgan's side, he could get doubled. On the other side, they could put three against two with, more, with the Ratpole and Casey. 
and that alleviates the pass rush. So, I mean, they really need to find somebody that can go on the other side of Jarrell Casey and that can help the pass rush. But right now that pass rush is very limited, and that's going to hurt the defensive back, no matter how good we are at defensive back. After about three and a half seconds, a corner's not going to be able to cover much longer. No, you're, you're 100% right. We definitely need an anchor defensive end, a def- true pass rush and defensive end. We don't have one right now. We don't. You know, and Casey, I, I, as good as Casey is, he's a fantastic player, he's a defensive tackle playing defensive end. Agreed. Daquan and Jones is you know what? average at, at best. At best, Daquan Jones is average. But imagine if you put a a good, you know, three four defensive end where Daquan Jones is. This pass rush should be unstoppable. And yeah, I, it's something I'm surprised that we did not target more in the off season. But that's a different discussion. And I will say this: I I hate we couldn't get Calais Campbell. I think. Daquan Jones would be better as a nose more than anything. No, I agree with and, you. And I think, and this is a good question. Honestly, I think we have a lot of players that would be more suited for the 4-3. But one thing that I've always thought about, and I know this is probably a story for a whole different show, Kevin Dodd not being active is pathetic. And I, that just shows that He's just not very good. It's over for him. He's a bust. But my question is, I want to get your opinion. Wouldn't it make a little bit better sense to see if you could try Kevin Dodd as a 3-4 defensive end? Maybe he puts on about 20 pounds and he plays down. Maybe that could play more to his strengths a bit. I mean, what would you think about that? I love it. I love it when Chris comes on because Chris is the only guy that comes on to my show and asks me questions. That's what I love about having Chris on. But, <laughs> no, I mean, I think you have something to this. You know, Kevin Dodd's a guy that I think is, is, is just pure pass rush. You're talking about a guy, he's got size. I mean, he's a big boy at six foot five. He played on that defensive line most of his snaps at, at Clemson. I think you have something to this. At 280 pounds, he's he's not a small guy. I mean, he's a big boy. I think mm-hmm. you should put him. I agree. I think you should put him at the defensive line spot, at defensive end, and, and let him do his work. I don't know, though, man. It's You you bring up a question with the bus thing, and it's, it's a good one to ask because it's just, when are we going to see the effort? When are we going to see that spark you know that that's something that we that you see with a good player even if a guy's not performing well you can see that spark where you're like all right there's something there you don't see it with Dodd you don't see it with Dodd even like the the games you know the sack that he they did have and you know this is going back to last year so I might be incorrect on in this but I think it was Derek Morgan that opened up that hole uh Mm -hmm. it might have been someone else though I can't remember but I mean he got help on that like it, it's we're not seeing it from him right now. That's definitely true. We're not seeing it from him right now. If he adds yeah. some weight to that, and I, I do think you're right. I think that a switch to the four three would benefit us. Remember last year when we were talking about how all of our corners are slot corners. 
Like, all of them were slot corners. Outside of McCourty, McCourty was either injured or not performing well. Agreed. All of our defensive linemen are nose tackles. Like, we run a 3-4, and all of our defensive linemen are nose tackles. Like, are better performing at that spot than at the end. And you can't have that in a 3-4. And and it's – I do think – I really think – if we switch to a four three, and I know that you have you have Rackpo and you have Morgan, but if we did that, you know, you push Jones inside. Obviously, Casey's going to play inside, and it leaves some question marks on the outside. But if we can draft some guys, I think we yeah. have the talent that we. I think this. I'll say it this way: we could have a stellar four three pass rush before we could have a stellar. Three four pass rush. I'll say it that way. I could not agree more because I mean I agree. If you did it like this, and I'm gonna make this quick because I know we got to keep going with the show. But Brian Arakpo has experience about four three and three four. Derek Morgan came in as a three four defensive end. I mean a four three defensive end. Excuse me. Drell Casey has some of his best years when he was at 4-3 defensive tackle in the middle. And then you put Daquan Jones right there, even though in my honest opinion he's below average. You put those four guys on the line, you're very effective. Then you come back, you put Dodd down as a 4-3 defensive end with his talent, which I still believe he has talent. I just think they're calling him. Then you have some backup there. Walden probably could play down too. You could then have Wesley Woodyard, Avery Williamson, and J.R. Brown on the field. You could have J.R. Brown take care of your tight end problem, and it makes it much more effective, in my opinion. I think that would be a very effective 4-3 front seven. Well, we see how often now that the 4-3 teams find more success. Like, we've, we've seen it a lot lately. That they, they end up finding more success. I you know I think there's a lot to it, and I, you know it, it might be a little bit biased because I've played in a four three system. I enjoy the four three system more. But you're right. We have a lot yeah. of guys that have played the system before that have had, like you said, more success in that system than and they I have agree. the three four. And I agree because I mean, I'll be honest. In when I'll even say in junior high, which I don't even know if I can say that anymore. In junior high. I played a four, in a 4-3 system. In high school, I played in a in a more of a 3-4 system, even though they really, even though in high school, it was more known as a uh, a five-man front. You know, base our base defense was a 53 defense, basically. So, I mean, in, in theory, you know, in retrospect to the NFL, it was more of a 4-3 defense. You had a nose tackle, you had two defensive ends, and then you had two outside linebackers as a rushing, pass rushing end. So we played more of a 3-4 system in high school, but, I mean, I love the 4-3 too. I mean, I didn't like, Pat, I didn't like rushing the quarterback. So, I, I mean, it didn't matter. I could play either system. All right, let's move on to the next week preview here. So yeah. this is, I'm calling it the battle of will our quarterback play? <laughs> That's what I'm naming this game already. Because we have, you know, you look at this Colts coming to Nashville on Monday night. 
First, let's talk about Andrew Luck here. It looks very unlikely to play. They said at first it's going to be week five through seven, so we're thinking we might see him on this game. Now it's looking like he might miss all of the games in October. So it looks like he's very mm-hmm. unlikely to play. Marcus, on the other hand, far harder to talk about. We really don't know what we're going to see. We talked about Malarkey. He said, you can either listen to NFL Network or you can listen to me. We really don't know what we can expect from this. But what we do know, this is the first Monday night game for the Tennessee Titans since November 24th of 2014. It's been years, Chris. Years since we've had a Monday night game. I definitely enjoy football under the lights. And, I mean, I am very much excited about going to see some game under the lights. I will be there for that. And before I go into that, now we might as well put that to bed. Andrew Luck is officially ruled out uh, as a report came in from Chuck Pagano. So he's not – there is no chance of him playing in this game. Now, again, like you said, Mark is is a little bit more of a – tough spot to think of. We don't know if he's going to play or not. Um, that is a good question, but some games on the line. First time since 2014. I was at that Monday night game against Pittsburgh. I was freezing my tail off. I freezed my butt off during that game, and that was the infamous Zach Denberger pick six, uh, infamous pick six uh, to begin the game. And I think um, Zach gave a pass to Nate Washington uh, for a big touchdown. And I think it ended up being 27-24, Pittsburgh won. And Le'Veon Bell kind of shredded our defense a bit. But I am very excited for some game, for some football under the lights. No, I agree with you. Uh, there's something, there's a different animal, man. And, you know, you've played, it's a different animal when you play under the lights. It's, it's. I mean, there's something to it, man, that just, it just, it brings out, there's more pressure. There's more. I don't know, man. There's just something to playing under the lights. It's just I, I always felt like it made me a better player. You know, I always loved. You know, in high school, most of your games, the vast majority of your games, are under the lights. So it's like, I don't know. There's something to it. I, I think that you definitely feel the energy levels, especially you know in the NFL when you know the national audience is watching you. Everybody's watching you. Let's talk about this. Our offense versus their defense. What are we looking at here? Well, let's see. Going up against their defense, number one, we're going to have to find some way to run the football. This is a defense that historically has not been very well against the run, uh, even though they do have some talent with, you know, they do have some talent with Hankins on the, on the defensive line got some other guys, but uh, Jamal Sheard uh, being another, we got to find a way to run the football, number one. Number two, their secondary is not very good either. We got to find a way to exploit the matchups, like we were talking earlier. We have to find a way to exploit the matchups and take it to our advantage. I think this could be a Delaney Walker, John Smith type game. Those two, I don't think they have anybody on the team that could match Delaney Walker or John U. Smith. And that could be a big game for them if they use it. And just like they would use T.Y. Hilton, if you use Taewon Taylor in any facet, then bang, 
we could score on these guys, even with Matt Castle. But if Marcus plays, I think we win this game. If Matt Castle plays, we could still win, but it will be a little bit more difficult. But I think it all comes down to using the pass to set up the run. I'm looking at this, and I'm looking at a rush defense that I think is is not solid. I think this should be an easier team to run against. But if they stack the box, we need to be able to move the football. If you know, it it really is. You know, Chris, you I mean, you mentioned it. There, it really is like you come up with two game plans and, and two analysis. It's like an if Marcus starts, if Marcus doesn't start, if Marcus starts, we have no problem moving the ball down the field. Their pass rusher, I think, is better than they get credit for. But we have a good mm-hmm. offensive line that shouldn't have any problems stopping it. We should be able to move the ball down the field. But if Castle starts and, you know, he doesn't pick up on plays, like we saw in that fumble play last week and we saw in, in other plays last week, then we're going to have issues. We're going to have problems. We need to be able to use the short passing game if Matt Castle starts. The short passing game works when you have guys in open field that can make plays. And I know this is going to be a broken record. I know everybody probably listening to this is tired of hearing it, but Taewon motherfucking Taylor is the guy. He's the guy that can break that seven-yard pass, that four-yard pass, that three-yard pass, and he can make it a 39-yard gain. That's a guy that you need to use. Use him in rub routes. Use him in slant patterns. Use him in crossing routes. Please, God, use him in in crossing routes. Especially against a defense that has a weaker secondary. Now, they do have uh, safety. They're not bad. They're not bad. But at corner, they're still pretty yeah. weak. And that's a good question because I don't know if Vontae Davis is going to play in this game. Uh, um, yeah. And, you know, you got Vontae Davis. You got Malik Hooker back there. So, I mean, yeah, they do have a couple of decent players. You can still exploit that. I agree. Because, I mean, you look at underneath with the linebackers. I mean, you got guys like Antonio Morrison. You know, Antonio Morrison, John Boston, these are guys I haven't heard of. I mean, we could exploit that. Now, Chris, I agree. Who's she? <laughs> who's that? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're 100% right. That, I was, that leads me to my next point is Delaney Walker early and often. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I could not agree more. Early and often. You know, we may have a lot of mouths to feed, but the Lady Walker is one mouth you must feed. I mean, feed him until he gets full, and then feed him some more. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's true. They they don't have guys that can cover him. They don't have anybody that can effectively cover him. Most teams don't. Like, let's be honest, most teams don't. That's why the Lady Walker has had the career he's had. But this team definitely does not have a guy that you can line up with Walker and you can play ball against him and you can slow him down. This team has nobody that's going to be able to limit Walker. They need to be writing up plays, drawing up plays for him constantly in this football game. We need to be hitting Delaney Walker like it owes us money. And when they pull down on Delaney and they start double-teaming Delaney, you either go to the running game or you go to the deep passing game or you get playmakers the ball. And again... Taewon Taylor. Taewon Taylor. <laughs> yes, I agree. Either I would say that with Taewon Taylor and Rashard Matthews. If they go exactly. to double on Delaney, that opens it up for Taewon and Rashard. And if they try to double on Rashard, you got Taewon, you got Janu, 
you know, maybe Decker makes a showing, exactly. and if all those and if all those fails, then you got DeMarco Murray who can cast the ball out of the backfield. So I mean, this game is going to determine whether Terry Robisky stays on as offensive coordinator. He needs to call a really good game on Monday night. You got to simplify the playbook too. I mean, I don't think that that Terry Robisky has gotten this yet. That that. Matt Castle doesn't read to the third read very often. Unless he has an, like a great pocket, he doesn't get to that third read. Marcus can. Marcus is faster. He's smarter. He moves through that those reads a lot quicker. Matt Castle does not. So that limits, guys. You know, when you have Decker covered and you keep going after Decker, and, and then, you know, your second read is Matthews, and, like, there's no one there. Like, you need to set up plays where your second read is going to be open, where your second read is going to be either Delaney Walker in a mixed match, which should be your first read most of this game. But if that's your second read, it should be Delaney Walker in a mixed match. It should be um, Taewon Taylor in a flat. It should be Rashard Matthews in that uh, that flag route that he runs so well. It, it should be guys in that scenario where you know that there's a very high chance of them being open. I think that's been a big problem is they yeah. expect Castle to make the same reads that Marcus does, but he's not capable of that. He's not, like you said, he's not as quick to read. Marcus is a better reader of a defense. And like you said, they have to simplify it. Give him two quick reads that he needs to know, okay, receiver should be at this spot. If he's not there, if he's not heading to that spot, go to your second read. Yeah. They need to simplify it, make it easy, get the ball out quick, some slants, uh, maybe some little digs just right across the line of scrimmage, uh, right in front of the linebacker, maybe where a linebacker can't catch a guy like Taewon. They need to simplify it and make put Matt Castle in positions where he can succeed and not have to have the game on his shoulders. No, you're 100% right. What uh, Our offense first three – Third defense, who's your X factor? My X factor, I think we have said it, and we are going to say it to our heart's content, and that is good old number 82. Delaney Walker is going to be our X factor because I am expecting the Indianapolis Colts to be like, we're going to shut the run down. We are going to do everything in our power to take DeMarco Murray and Derrick Henry away, and we are going to put the ball in Matt Castle's hands. D D Walker 82 should be your number one option if you're going to win this game. Let him work. That's my X factor. I 100% agree. It's still Andy Walker. They don't have anybody that can cover him. He's going to be a a mismatch all game long. I mean, he's obviously yeah. the X factor in this game. He's obviously the guy. I think he needs to lead in targets and receptions and yards if you're going to win this football game. I absolutely think it's something that we did not do a good job of last week. I uh, agree. I, I think that that's definitely the factor. So let's let's shift the focus. Our defense versus their offense. What are you looking at? Our defense against their offense. I would say the way that we play well. The things that we did well against Miami, we need to continue that into this game. First and foremost, we have to take advantage of this horrible offensive line that they have. 
You know, we have got to get after Brissett. We got to stop Frank Gore and make sure Frank Gore or Marlon Mack. And Marlon Mack, of course, is a, could be a very decent running back coming out of South Florida. So we have to be careful of that. And we have to stop the run, and that includes Brissett. That's number one. Again, like with Matt Castle, we have to force Brissett to throw the ball. We may be able to uh, limit him to some mistakes. We may be able to force him to some mistakes. And we can capitalize on that. So I think that is number one. Pass rush, the defensive line's got to play good. Number two, and it's actually going to be two and three. A, again, keep Bryce McCain off this field. Number one, <laughs> I'm going to hammer that nail in. I can't stand Bryce McCain. Keep him off the field. And in this game, I would basically have, I would have shadow matchups. With Dante Moncrief, I would split between, I think LaShawn Sims could split between both of the receivers. Dante Moncrief, Logan Ryan needs to be on him pretty much the whole game. Number two, Adoree Jackson is the only corner on this team that could keep up with T.Y. Hilton. Now, Logan Ryan has some experience, so I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they put Logan Ryan on T.Y. Hilton at times, maybe on short distances, but on like third and long or second and long, you got to have a Dory Jackson on T.Y. Hilton because he's the fastest guy that can keep up with him. And last but not least, J.R. Brown and Wesley Woodyard are going to be big and cover Jack Doyle. We got to take care of the tight end in this situation so that they don't be a factor. But I think the number one thing is make Brissett uncomfortable and force him into mistakes. I agree with a lot of what you said here. A couple pointers for me. I expect to see a lot of cover two in this game. And why is I want to see us hit those gaps, stop the running game, but not necessarily on blitzes. But I want to see us drop back into coverage a lot. We saw what happens when we press too much. Our pass rush is just not getting there. We press too much against Watson. That's when he had his most successful plays was mm-hmm. against our blitz. So we need to drop guys back in the coverage because Watson has the ability to start picking spots and starting getting balls out. I don't think Brissett has that. So what we need to do yeah. is to drop back a lot, especially in zone coverage. I love that cover two against a guy like this because you play up on the gaps. If the rush is not there, drop back. They might catch you on a couple play action plays. I mean, that's part of it. There's no defense that's immune you know, to a certain type of offense. But they're not going to be able to, to keep the running game. We have great inside linebackers at, at stopping the run. They're fantastic at stopping the run. When they start throwing, put the ball in Jacoby Brissett's hand. Make him beat you with his arm, not his legs. Yeah. I would like to see us not blitz as much, force him to throw the football. I 100% agree with you, though. I want to see a Dory on T.Y., especially on those longer plays. And when you don't have a Dory on T.Y., Bayard needs to be the safety over top. I don't want to see anybody yeah. else. I don't want to see any other safety over top on T.Y. Hilton's side except for Kevin Bayard because he's the only guy that can make those center field type of plays. And when they go deep, 
you know, especially with Brissette, when they go deep, they're going to only one guy, and that's T.Y. T.Y. Hilton, man. So keep yep. Bayard on top of a guy that can make plays, man. I think it's absolutely, you're 100% right. So who would you say is your X factor on this defense? I'm going to say, and I'm actually going to give two. I'm actually going to have two. 1A is probably going to be Kevin Byard, definitely. Byard is going to have, I think Byard is going to get another pick in this game. I think Byard will have another pick. And I'm going to say Wesley Woodyard. Because when you were talking about cover two and backing up and uh, playing cover two, I think Wesley Woodyard could be that spy. Maybe have that spy watch for set just to make sure he doesn't uh, leak out and doesn't have a way to escape. And so Woodyard can stay in the middle, spy over set, and yet if he throws it short, you know, Wesley Woodyard can get there, make the tackle, or could even pick it off underneath. So I can see Woodyard being that 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 spy, just making sure Brissett stays in the pocket and does what we want him to do. But I would say 1A, Kevin Byers, 1B, Wesley Woodyard. I think it's a good I think it's a good list there. Just to go with a little bit of something different, I'm going with Adore Jackson here. Especially because I hope, and I, I don't know, I don't know what the coaching staff is thinking, but I hope that they do play him on T.Y. a lot. And that's obviously, you know, the, a scary matchup for us. Even though that Adoy Jackson has the speed to keep up with T.Y. Hilton, uh, T.Y. Hilton's still obviously a very talented wide receiver. He's very good at getting separation. He's very good in the open field. We've seen it a hundred times before. Like, Tennessee knows better than anybody. T.Y. Hilton's a fucking good wide receiver. So it's yeah. a scary matchup. But I want to see, and I'll give my, you know, you gave your one and two. My two is going to be Byard, like you were just saying. I want to see Byard over the top on Hilton. And I want to see Adoree Jackson, like you were saying earlier, you key off on that slant route. You key off on that crossing route. You key off on anything inside and play Byard over top. And you make them try to force it. They're either going to try to force it inside on Adoree Jackson, a guy that's got great speed, great athletic ability, great hands, or force it over the top to Kevin Byard, a guy that plays that center field position so well and has great hands. Force them into mistake. You're playing Jacoby Brissett. Make him beat you with his arm. Not his legs, his arm. I think that's a big key to this game. Obviously, you're not going to see a game without blitzing, but I really, really recommend to the Titans coaching staff, I wouldn't blitz as much in this game. I would let... Jacoby Brissett throw the football and make them beat us that way because I think we can cover everybody on their team. T.Y. Hilton's the only one that like really scary. I'm not terrified by Moncrief. I'm not terrified by Doyle. Even though he did that to us last year, we got guys like Jayon Brown and Woodyard's been playing out of his mind like we were talking about earlier. We have guys that I think can cover him this year. Big thing is going to be shutting T.Y. Hilton down. And I think if we do that, the running game is not going to be able to beat us. The passing game outside of T.Y. Hilton is not going to be able to beat us. Look at the games that the Colts come close to winning or they win. T.Y. Hilton has big games in those games. When, when yeah. uh, So far, when Jacoby Brissett took over, T.Y. Hilton has huge games in those games. I, I absolutely agree. T.Y. Hilton is going to be just like how with DeAndre Hopkins being the best friend of Deshaun Watson, we have to basically play it the same way. 
T.Y. Hoon is going to be yep. Jacoby Brissett's best friend. And like you said, if we shut down T.Y. Hilton, it's a good chance we shut down this offense. You know, they can throw underneath all they want. I mean, you're only going to get three, four, five yards. And if it's third and, if it's third and eight and they get five yards, bang, they're punting. So I think that can, that can definitely play to our favor. So if we play sound defensively like we have, as long as Matt Castle doesn't make any mistakes, doesn't make any mistakes, and our running game starts to kind of come back to form and Delaney Walker gets fed, this could be a game that the Titans win and turn it around uh, going towards Cleveland. Now, I agree with you 100%. Chris, let's head to the predictions now. What's your prediction in this game? Let's see. My prediction for this game. Now, before Marcus got hurt, uh, I did a prediction show on Titans and Truth. And for everybody listening, you know, you can definitely check that out on YouTube, my prediction show. I had a victory here against the uh, Indianapolis Colts. I had a 30-13 to win for this one. Now that Marcus is, we don't know if he's playing or not. I think if Marcus plays, it's 30-13. to I think we can move the ball on them, and I think we could definitely win this game. And he will be a great pick-me-up uh, for this team. If Matt Castle plays, and it's all up to Rubisky and Malarkey, if they can do this right, if they do this right, I think the Titans win, and the defense plays it well. I'm going to say 20-6 Tennessee. All right, I did, I did a Marcus and a Hinda, Matt Castle uh, prediction too, and I actually went 30-13 to 13, just like you did with Marcus. If Marcus is on the field, 30-13 to 13 was mine as well. I think we have way too much for them on offense. I don't think their offense is good enough to get past our defense. Our defense in total – has played a very good season so far this year. We have played well this so far this year. All offense, though, has struggled in the first half, and especially without Marcus, has struggled the entire game. So, yeah. my prediction without Marcus, Matt Castle is a starter. I'm still going with 13 for them. I still think they get 13. Actually, you know what? I'm going to bump it up. I think they get 17. I'll go 17 to 20 Titans. If... Matt Castle starts. I think it'll be a tight game, but I still think we get the win. This is a team that we should be able to beat, even with Matt Castle. So I will go 2017 if Matt Castle starts. Oh, so you, so you call it for a Ryan Suckup game winner? Like Kansas City? <laughs> On the flame in Nashville. Yeah, Suckup puts it through. By the way, a guy that we don't give enough credit to, but tied the record this week. Pretty impressive. You know, was it 46 yeah. in a row from under 50? I mean, suck yeah. is just money. Inside 50. Inside 50. You get him inside 50 yards, he is absolute gold inside of 50 yards. Yes, he is. All right, that's about all we have for you this week. I'm Ryan Moreland. Uh, you can find me at the Ryan Moreland on Twitter. Find us at TTU Podcast on Twitter at TTU uh, Podcast. On Facebook as well, Chris, my great host, you can find him on Twitter at TNT 
Blue, that's B-L-U, Enforcer, E-N, the number four, C-E-R on Twitter. You can find him. If you go to my my Twitter or uh, the show's Twitter, you'll be able to find him because I'm going to be tweeting at him this week. Every time you come on, Chris, I always end up having a long show. I just enjoy talking to you, really a fun guy to talk to about this. And, and also, tell them where else they can find your shows and everything else. Yeah, I want to thank everybody for, uh, you know, dealing with me, talking my head off. You know, I love this team to death. Also, uh, if you follow me on Facebook, I have an um, official Titans and Truth page uh, with all the shows and any blogs that are going to come on there. Uh, if you're on Facebook, you know, put a message saying that you uh, want to join the fan page. You can join the fan page, the Titans and Truth fans. Check it out on YouTube under Titans and Truth. And last but not least, last but not least, and this is most important, check out the website. Check out my website, www.titansintruth.wixsite, that's W-I-X-S-I-T-E.com, slash Titans and Truth. You can find my website, all the episodes, all the blogs are going to be on there. And uh, got a new one coming out by the end of tomorrow about the Miami game called Dazed and Confused. So that's going to be the title uh, from that from the uh, 1993 movie. So, you know, I like movie references. It's always a pleasure having you on, even though we always go way too long. It's great, though. Our fans love it, the long episodes. Just a little bit more work for me, but that's just fine. Thanks again for coming on, brother. Well, I return the favor on that one. Like I said, I'm sorry I talk everybody's head off a little bit. Just love them Titans. Love to bleed the two-tone blue. Absolutely. Yeah, if you're not watching Chris's videos, Titans and Truth, you definitely should. Uh, just like you heard tonight, a lot of great insight. That guy definitely knows football, definitely knows Titans football. Um, but be sure to check us out next week. We'll be back Wednesday, just like we are each and every week on iTunes, Stitcher, the TuneIn app. Uh, all over Google Play, wherever you like to listen to podcasts, I'm sure we are there. And if we're not, let me know and I will fix that. Uh, you can also find us at ttupodcast.com, our website, and our Facebook and Twitter, like I already said. We'll be back next week. We have another guest lined up and maybe one special guest. I'm working on something pretty special for us. So we'll be back next week. Big thanks again to my boy Chris. Always fun to have you on, brother. Thank you. I appreciate you. As always on this show, let's tighten up.